Every year at annual conference, when the clergy of the conference gather and the delegates from the annual conference, one of the three worship services that we hold is a service of remembering our saints, where there's a roll call and families come in and join the annual conference for the remembrance of all the clergy and clergy spouses who have served the annual conference in the past year and have gone on to be with the Lord. Sometimes it can get to be quite a long list, and that congregation One of the things that we do, even though we gathered from around the conference, is when the name of a minister or a clergy spouse is called, then those who have been touched by their ministry will stand while their name is being read, the bell is rung, and someone comes forward to do whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's with light or flowers, to remember their ministry among us. I remember early on in my call to ministry, whenever I was going to annual conference for the first time, being raised in a church where hymns were all that we sang back in that day and age. Hearing that song and the peppiness with which it was sung and the full-throated voice of those around you, joining together, you became aware of the kingdom of God that David was alluding to that's so strong in our presence. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than any one church, any one denomination, any group of people who live on the earth at any one particular time. Indeed, now it spreads almost these 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, died, and was resurrected. We have no idea how many lives have been impacted around this world because of the cause of Christ. But we know in every case that they were impacted because they were touched by people who had been touched themselves. It has been something that has been passed on down through the ages, and will ever be so until Christ returns. Because you see, there is no other way for the gospel to go forward. It's not magic. It doesn't just happen. But yet it continues to happen because the seed of the gospel that lives in the hearts of those who have chosen to believe and to follow becomes that which they pass on in their lives. It is literally impossible to be a Christian and a follower of Christ without touching people's lives. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I've known a few Christians. I don't think they'd really touched anybody's life. Well, then maybe they weren't Christian. Or more aptly, perhaps you just never saw it. Because you see, the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we believe in the forgiveness of sins and the power of grace so strongly that even though one's life might be a mess here on this earth, yet still a glimmer of the grace they have received from Jesus Christ turns into fruit as they share their lives with other people. And even though it may not be in the body of Christ that formerly gathers at this church, it may not be serving on church committees or standing up to read a, a lesson or to teach a class, that does not mean they have not touched with the milk of kindness that is a fruit of the Spirit someone else's life in this world. It does not mean they have not been a believer in Christ because we have not witnessed it or they were unable to practice it with the kind of diligence we might expect. Because in every category of people, salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ is always a relative kind of experience. Some have more opportunity than others. Some have more gifts than others. Some come from more blessed communions as a family and did not have to overcome a life of drudgery, slavery, and fear when they became a servant of Jesus Christ. 
So we all come at different places in our lives, and we come in different shapes and forms. But the real mark of Jesus Christ in our life is a fruit of the Spirit that is evoked from within us after it has been given to us from within and spreads out across the world, permeating the lives of those around us. This reality is very powerful. This reality is what makes Christians get excited if they've gotten it. And I hope that today you get it as we faithfully remember the lives of these among us who've gone on to their reward, if you will, apart from this world and into the world to come, a place where we are all going, by the way. At least I hope we're going. I'm going. I hope you're going. It would be a real drag to get there and not find you there. Some of you are thinking, well, you'll be there a long time before I am. You don't know that. (laughs) You don't know that. There are no guarantees in this gig. You know, it can be very short here on earth. The only place where eternity is really long is not here. Right? Right? We don't know who's going to be there, but when we get there, the idea we're going to be joined together with all those who have believed since the beginning of faith in Jesus Christ, and who knows about those who died in some kind of form of faith before Jesus came to the earth? Who knows about all those persons who are going to be there? I can't imagine my first day in heaven such shock. I expect shock in heaven. You say, what kind of shock? I just want to be sure. The shock that some people are there. I'm going to go, really? Really, you're here? And the fact that I may spend a long time of eternity looking for some people that I can't find. That is a bad kind of shock, right? But don't you expect some of that to be that way when you get there? Because after all, the only one who knows the hearts of us humans is the one who created us. And he responds to the creation of us in his image as the Son tells him those who have been his followers. What a miraculous, marvelous truth to sing about. So when we sing for all the saints, I do get excited. I do get excited because I think of the many people that have touched my life, not just preachers and preachers' wives. Uh, They've touched my life in good ways and sometimes in not positive ways, right? Because they're human too, right? You ever know that feeling? Yeah, somebody was just telling me the other day about a pastor who was such a lovely man, and I thought, not exactly my experience. But you know what? It was good to hear them give witness to that person's life because there are people, I know this is going to be shocking for you, so, but there are some people who you could mention the name of Doug Miller, and they go, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's your pastor. I'll pray for you. And you should accept their prayers because you never know, right? Everything is relative and everything is different. People touch different people. Why all of that? To say this. Memory is a precious gift from God. And we humans have it from the image of God himself. We're not like the rest of creation. Memories are a gift from God, but they need to be bathed in the grace of Jesus Christ in order to be a source of our joy. Because of memories are a mixed bag. We remember hard and hurtful things that happen in our lives. We remember people in our lives who disappointed us greatly, just as surely as we remember people who have touched our lives positively with love and joy and grace, gentleness and kindness, who've modeled before us lives of self-control. 
We remember them all because we have a memory. So our memories have to be bathed in grace in order that we might put to bed those memories that are unpleasant in our relationships with anyone and everyone. Because I guarantee you, when your day comes and you're watching your service from another place, you don't want the pastor who's standing up front to talk about your worst day, right? You don't want the pastor who's sharing a eulogy about you and talking about your faith to tell about the day when you were at your worst, right? Does anybody here want to sign up? I can do it for you if you'd like me to. Would you like that kind of? You wouldn't like that at your funeral, right? Instead, we cover with grace and forgiveness the evil that the people do on this earth who are followers of Jesus Christ because nobody is 100% pure 100% of the time until they have been fully sanctified, entirely sanctified. And even once they have been entirely sanctified, John Wesley said, even though you've arrived at this place of perfection in your relationship to Christ, be wary lest you fall. Because it's not something that's given to you and there's never any possibility of falling. For instance, if you are a follower of the University of Texas football... I'm, I'm bathing everything in grace, brother. Everything. The only graceful thing I could do is turn it off. I don't watch stuff like that anymore. My time's too precious. When they recover, I'll watch again. Oh, my. I shouldn't have gone there. Memories hold good and joyful places in our hearts and in our minds. That is why selective memory is within our reach and what we need to practice. We don't want to hang on and remember those that have hurt us, harboring a heart that's vengeful, angry. Rather, we want to allow grace to bathe that relationship and its failures at that particular point. And we need to set it aside and concentrate on the good in every person we meet. Because chances are, If you're in a church and you're meeting most of the people you meet in church, even they are going to have moments, maybe on a committee, maybe when you're talking in the hall, maybe on something they say that you've overheard, or maybe in something they do that you're aware of, that it's not all that Christ intended it to be. They need your forgiveness, and you need theirs as you live lives to the best of your ability. And so today, what I want us to do as we think about these saints today, is I want us to click on our selective memory button so that anything that we hear or think of in the words I'm going to share in the next few moments might become a word of thanksgiving and praise to God for the life of one that you remember. Now, it's true that some of you may not know me. We don't have a lot of saints this year who've passed on. Uh, They're still all with us, and we're thankful for that. But you know there are many other people in your lives who have passed on that you might need to practice selective memory with. And to thank God for the way that they touched your life. Because you see, the fruit in our lives is a result of what people have passed on to us. We don't, as David correctly said, we're not all that we are simply by ourselves. But we are who we are because of those who have spoken into our lives. By deeds and words and actions. Thanks be to God for every good memory we can remember. I want to frame this in two passages of Scripture. 
and part, as a part of stewardship, because today what we're really celebrating is the stewardship of the lives of these people who lived in our midst. I want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in two ways, the love, joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control. As one of our children said before he went back to his seat, he knew the fruit of the Spirit. I gave him the opportunity to share that. It's a nine words that you should all know by heart. You should never forget them because it is the inner reality of the transformation that God is doing in your life through your faith in Jesus Christ and your obedience to his word. If you're not growing in love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control, you need to check your life out. Because if you're not growing in those areas and expanding in how you practice those areas in the life in which you live, then you are pulling yourself away from the vine who has come to bear fruit in your life. And we don't want to do that, right? Right? Better be right. And we're going to be here a long time. It's going to be a long sermon if we don't say right. I mean, let's, let's be clear. Now, it's not just Galatians 5, and 23, but listen to these words from the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. When Jesus said to those closest disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, bear fruit, produce it, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word when I have, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in a vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit of the Spirit comes to us inwardly as the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and our minds. The love, joy, peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control. I said it again, right? You got it now, right? You ready to try it? Keep listening. You never know. Those fruit come within us, and many people think of the fruit of the Spirit as in us. A particular book I've been reading, however, does not leave it there, but says rather in forceful words that the fruit that John is talking about that's bearing fruit is, is a correlation to the fruit of the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit within us is never given just so that we might be good inside, but rather that we might bear fruit outside the tree of life. By living out those fruit that live within us. So love is just not something we experience and feel good about as Jesus wraps his arms around us and we feel, oh, it's so good to feel love. No, love is much more than that. Love is not just something passive and meant just for me when I receive it, but rather it is meant to be expressed outwardly in my life. The fruit of the Spirit really are the organizing principles of the way we Christians Live daily. Inward fruit expresses itself in our action. Another way of saying it is that it's not only recognizing that not only are we being someone different, but that we are doing things differently. Another way of saying it is not only are we becoming a disciple inside with those fruit of the Spirit, 
but we are living as stewards of those through the Spirit as we interrelate with each other and with the other people around us who aren't even aware of the fruit of the Spirit. Are you getting the connection? The being and the doing, they have to come together for us to really experience the joy that Jesus was talking about to his disciples as he was about to live. So as we look at these right quickly, and I mean very quickly, think about these whose names are going to be called later on when we call them, and ask yourself, did any of them touch me in these ways? And if so, what do you remember? And feed on it. Let it nurture your soul as it nurses their spirit that resides with God. First of all, there's love. Not a passive love, but an active, aggressive, purposeful love. This is the love that Jesus came to give us. Not just a feel-good inside, but rather a feel-good that reaches out to those around them. Purposeful love is a seeking love. Aimed at those who need it most. It's a sacrificial love that has a tremendous cost, just as the life of Jesus did. And it is a discerning love but non-judgmental. We know that everything is not something that we can approve of, but how we do not approve of it needs to be done with great discernment. Loving doesn't mean accepting anything and everything, but it does mean loving everyone no matter how wrong they might be at the place where they are in life. It means leaving judgment for God Almighty in heaven and not us practicing it here on earth. Love, joy. Boy, it's easy and great to be joyful, isn't it? I love it when the Longhorns win. I love it when the Cowboys win. But thank God I can have joy without either two of those happening. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd be a really boring person, sad person right now. When is the last time we had victory? (sighs) Been forever. You know, a recent golf match. Gary out there? Yeah, there he is. This would bring me great joy, but to announce it would not be joyful for Gary, so I won't. (laughs) See, purposeful love has boundaries. We don't want to claim joy while taking someone else's joy away from them. Joy is internal and also externally shared because it's a choice we make on how we respond to life. Our joy can be the source of joy for others. It must not be limited to or tied very directly to present circumstances. Otherwise, we Christians start looking like everybody else. Anybody who wins the lottery can be happy. It's when you don't know who's going to pay your bills next week that we find out if you have Christian joy. But we Christians know how to rejoice in all things, despite the reality around us because we are joyful because of our faith, not because of good stuff happening to us or about us. Not only are we joyful, but we have a kind of peace that we can pass on to others. But peace is more than an absence of strife. It is a reward for kingdom living, living like we are part of the kingdom of God. It takes work to be really peaceful because the church has to be at the center of the ministry of reconciliation, whereby we are offering peace to people who do not know Jesus Christ, to people who do not live for others, to people who have had all kinds of junk in their life. And we need to be the ones at peace with them. We need to be at peace in the midst of tragedy if we're going to really be bearers of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience. I wish this one wasn't in there. 
patience. Ah, waiting with grace. It's hard to wait with grace when you live in Frisco area. The traffic is awful. The roads are all torn up. And sometimes you just need to get out of the parking lot you've been in and across the street to get to the right lane. And you look at the long line of traffic and you start staring at people. Which one of you is going to let me in and be peaceful with me and you? And eventually, if nobody's letting you in, then you start looking at which one of you is the weakest in line. (laughs) The slowest with your foot on the accelerator that I can scoot in front of you. And you can find peace as you deal with your anxious presence because I've one-upped you in the car line. Of course, I would never do that. Now, Sally, I don't know. She drives a big car, and it's kind of like a battering ram, so she's got protection. Patience, practicing a non-anxious presence in the midst of strife. If you have patience, and there's a fight going on around you, verbally, clash of wheels, are you able to have a non-anxious presence? Accepting people where they are and praying for their future growth. Kindness. Intentional acts of kindness. You know, there's a, what's the random acts of kindness was afraid you saw on everybody's bumper. And the author I was reading from, he took issue with that. He said, what we need is more intentional uh, acts of kindness more than we need random acts of kindness. I don't really think he got exactly what the meaning of random acts of kindness means. Random means it's not expected. Random means it comes at times people aren't looking for it. That does not mean that random can also be intentional, because it can. Intentional acts of kindness can mean looking at the street and seeing somebody who needs to get in line to drive on the road, and you decide to give them the space to go, despite the fact that the person behind you is honking because there's three inches of space in front of you. See? Intentional acts of of grace. We need intentional acts of kindness because people are looking for kindness in the world in which we live. It means doing for others. It's an act of charity or compassion, healing and comfort to help someone else live into their life. Faithfulness. Unwavering trust grounded in the confidence in God despite whatever your situation may be. Unwavering trust Grounded in the confidence in the God. That's faithfulness. It's what drives us to action. It's what gives us the strength to move on when times are tough. Gentleness means expanding safe space for other people to live and grow. A gentle person gives people space. I want to say a word. Sometimes I'm ragging on the young adults in our day because they're so... Let their children do so much that I don't understand. Okay? That's because I'm getting to be an old person. But I'm not that old. But the young parents of today show so much patience and gentleness with their children that it's a different thing than I grew up under. Now, I'm not knocking how I grew up because I learned things. It takes them 30 years to learn today a lot sooner. But a lot of times it wasn't in a very gentle way. That's what I'm saying here. Gentleness requires great patience with children. 
I'm not for sure how patient I was. I think I was fairly patient with my children. They both lived to be adults, and that's a good sign. I think they were reasonably patient with me. I'm still alive, and there have been moments when, from the looks in their eyes, I knew they had doubt about my necessity. But at the same time, it's important that we learn to be gentle. We need to give safe space for baby Christians. We need to give safe space for Christians who are God-conscious but not yet believers. We need to give safe space for people of other cultures and religious faiths to question and talk to us about the God we love. In a non-judgmental environment, we need to make it possible for them to grow up in faith. It's why we hire youth pastors. Youth pastors are there to give our youth during tumultuous times in their lives, safe space to grow, to expand their minds and their hearts, to understand Jesus, but not to expect from them what they're not yet ready to give because of their age. It is impossible for a 13-year-old to be 42. It's just impossible. It's impossible for a four-year-old child to be 14. Yeah, they can't do it. They're not supposed to do it. What they need is safe space to grow and mature in their life. And that's true for all of us. Wherever we are in our life, we still have edges that need safe space to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. The people around us and how gentle they act create safe place. When people come and visit our congregation... Young adults in the world, many of them come, we're told by all the newspaper articles, with great questions about the institution of church, great wariness, great belief that the church is too judgmental in the day in which they live. If we greet them with authority, with dominance and condemnation and judgments about their attitudes and their lifestyles, they're not going to find any safe space. They're never going to find the sanctuary they're looking for as long as the church is not that sanctuary. We have to create that safe space. Think of the people who created safe space for you in your life, allowed you to be you, even when you were not being a very good you, waiting for you to grow and mature. Lastly, self-control. Channeling our passions in healthy and productive ways. That's what we need. Yes, I know I've skipped goodness because the writer of the book I was reading didn't use goodness. He called it uh, generosity. (laughs) It went well with the title of his book, but it doesn't have anything to do with the text as far as I'm concerned. So I'm just doing eight of the nine that he used. Generosity is important. It should be a spirit about us. I just don't believe it's one of the spirit of the... It's one of the fruit of the spirit is listed in Galatians. But I do believe it's one of the fruit of a life who follows Christ. We should be generous with all that we have been given, including the fruit of the Spirit. Today is time for us to move on in our service, to think about those who have touched us in these ways. I've been so blessed. I've had generous people everywhere I've gone. I remember the first time we actually moved from our home in Farmersville to the first church, we were, actually the second church we pastored. But the first time we actually moved to a place to live in a house that was not one that we had selected back in the day when you only had parsonages. I remember pulling up in this little dumpy town. 
I will refrain from its name to protect the innocent. But it was a little dumpy town. And we pulled up, though, in the midst of these dumpy little houses. They were. Although not unlike any house we'd already been living in, so we were prepared for it. And there sat an almost new church that these 45 people had built and paid for by serving dinners to the community. We'd come on Friday night and eat there. And they took the profits to pay for the building. Wow. What a great place to go. And we pulled out of the car. I couldn't even, my feet didn't hit the ground that there weren't other cars already in the parking lot pulling in to greet us, to welcome us, to help us move in, to love us. Because, you know, Sally had a hard time learning how to be a pastor's wife. And, you know, me, of course, I already knew all I needed to know. (laughs) They were so kind, so gentle. They were filled with such goodness to offer us in what we didn't know. They taught us so much. We can never praise God enough for those who are with the Lord now and who meant so much to us in those days. I know your heart is filled today. Some of you have lost loved ones very recently. Some of you, it's been a tough year in regard to loss. But in the midst of all that, we come to this table Remembering that it's the table of the Lord. Remembering that it's offered to anyone who wishes to come to it. It's not a United Methodist table, but rather it's the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ always invites anyone to come that wants to come and receive whatever grace it is that they need so that they might be filled with more joy, so that they might know communion with Christ in a more real way. So as you prepare to come, I ask you now to bow your heads with me as we first go to our Lord in prayer.